Today we have the uh, honor, um, privilege of hearing from one of our leaders here at Emmanuel, Joel Radicke. Uh, Joel has been uh, a leader at our church uh, from the very beginning, and before uh, we even began uh, the work of church planting, Joel and his wife Susan and kids were living here in Uptown, praying evening prayer, inviting people into their homes, and teaching the Word of God uh, in their living room. And uh, Joel, as someone who uh, uh, serves the church and has a gift for teaching, is going to bring the Word today. Uh, Joel also works in the insurance industry, works very hard there, serving uh, serving different companies, serving his family. And um, also, some of you know him as one who has led a small group that you've been a part of, or and he actually continues to, to coach many of our small group leaders. Um, so uh, let's uh, invite Joel up, and um, I will pray for him. Lord, we thank you so much for what transpired in the book of Acts, and we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and give Joel power to open the word of God to us uh, in the name of Jesus so that we can become your distinct people. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is um, the last uh, sermon in the series on the book of Acts, and um, one of the things that I've noticed as we've been going through the passages in Acts um, is a recurring theme again and again, uh, starting really at the beginning, uh, which is the, the growth of the church. Um, so we're told early on, uh, after Jesus' ascension, there were about 120 disciples. And from that point on, we hear again and again, it keeps getting ratcheted up very quickly um, until the passage that we have today, um, which notes the growth of the church as well. So it starts out with, in chapter 2, 3,000 being added at Pentecost, um, and then more and more being added day by day. Um, this, this happens after uh, Peter preached a, a, a sermon to a bunch of people, a very confrontational sermon. Um, and then in chapter 4, we read that 5,000, there were about 5,000 men, uh, so with women and children, it was a much larger number in total. And this, this happened again with Peter and John having preached a number of sermons um, to people in public, not in this kind of setting, but more in like a, a public setting. Um, and then we read, we read in chapter 5 that multitudes were added to the church um, by God. We read that more than ever believers were added to the church, multitudes of both men and women. Um, going on in chapter 6, after the formation of the deacons to reach out to uh, those who have been kind of cut off, the Hellenistic Jewish widows have been cut off, and the uh, deacons were formed to minister to them, to bring them in, um, and we find that at that point, just after that, many priests became believers. Um, and then in today's passage, in chapter 9, it really it, it concludes, it wraps up with this, um, this sentence, uh, or these sentences, the church through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The peace that, that they had was that Paul was no longer, Saul was no longer persecuting them at this point. So they, they were experiencing a time of peace. Um, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So we see this, this recurring, bringing, bringing us back to this, this growth of the church. And Luke, the author of Acts, is obviously very excited about this. Um, and so he wants to communicate to his reader um, his excitement, and so he keeps going back to it. Um, and actually, one of the important things here is this concept of the growth of God's people 
actually has a much more ancient root. And so Luke is, is looking at that, and he's seeing this growth of the church as a confirmation of something God's been doing throughout Scripture, throughout the whole Old Testament. Um, God both prophesies growth and even commands it. Many of you are probably familiar with, um, even if you're not familiar with the Bible in general, you might be familiar with the creation story we read in Genesis, um, that on the, the sixth day, uh, man and woman were created. And we actually find that the first thing God says to them in chapter 1, the very first words out of his mouth to them are, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so the very first thing he says to them is to multiply. Um, and we find that same language here in chapter 9 of Acts. And so Luke is looking back to that, things like that. Also, when God talks to, to Abraham, so this is when he's forming his, this is after the fall, and he's, he's, God is forming his people yet again, um, starting with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, uh, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so we see that the, the multiplication that God is calling forth, that he's bringing about, is for the blessing of the whole earth and now all of its people being blessed through Abraham. And then Jesus, after his uh, resurrection and before the ascension, his last words to his disciples are, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so again, we see this, this coming through Christ himself, um, going back to this theme of growth and multiplication and the expansion of the church. And so when Luke sees this happening before his very eyes, he sees this as even further confirmation that this, this theme of growth and multiplication that God's been talking about throughout the whole scriptures is happening right amongst this people that he's living, living in and witnessing. So that, that leaves us with a question. We can see that even now for our church, God is calling us to grow and multiply. This, this hasn't, it's not done yet. Uh, we're still in that same process of growth. Um, but we have to ask ourselves, how do we participate in this growth? How do we respond to this call um, that God has given us? I think it's helpful, actually, to look through the passages in Acts, and then I'll focus even more specifically on the chapter we read today, the part of chapter 9 that we read today. Um, as we kind of think back to those, those things I read before or, or reiterated before from Acts, we have, um, again, the, the apostles are preaching. They're, they're going outside and they're proclaiming um, the truth of Christ. They're proclaiming the death and resurrection of Christ and even proclaiming the, the people who are listening, even proclaiming what they have witnessed and, and how they were participants in that. And so he's, he's talking about experiences they have had and he's also proclaiming the truth of God, the truth of, of Jesus being both God and man. Um, and so he is, it's a proclamation to those that are outside and, and they were doing that in order to bring the gospel outside to bring those people, to make a way, a path for those people who are outside to come in. That was the purpose. It wasn't to scold them or just to attack them. It was to um, make a way for those people that were outside to come in. Additionally, when we, when we hear that the, the priests were, were coming into the church, that happens after the, as I said before, after the deacons had been formed. They also were acting to bring those who were outside in. Think about why were the deacons formed. It was in response to people that had been, were being cut off, this time from, from food, 
that the church was handing out, but they were being pushed out as outsiders, and so the deacons were formed to bring them in. So we see that same pattern there. Um, when we look at the passage today, there's actually three different perspectives that I think we could take on, and I'll go through those in detail. Um, but before I do that, I just want to clarify some terms that I'm using. I'm, I'm going to be using this concept of insider and outsider, being inside and being outside. Um, and there are, there are a few concepts that might be good to hold in your mind when you think about that. So let's go back to Adam and Eve, go back to the Garden of Eden, because I think this actually gives us a really good image to hold on to as we think about what it means to be inside and also what it means to be outside. Um, so inside, as the Garden of Eden, it's a place where man and woman are in fellowship with each other, they're at peace with each other, and they're at peace with God. And so we have, that's, that's what the Garden of Eden is. Um, and because of the fall, they were cast outside. And so they go from being inside to being pushed outside. Uh, they're no longer in peaceful fellowship with each other, and they're no longer in peaceful fellowship with God. Um, but there's still this image, there's still this hope and this dream of being inside, of being back with God and with each other in peace. This is fulfilled in Jesus. He, he comes, he is both God and man, and he comes and he brings that to us. He brings himself to us. And so he actually brings the Garden of Eden, he, he's the Garden of Eden incarnate, and actually, Paul talks about Jesus being the second Adam. Um, I think he's referencing this kind of thing, that, that Jesus makes it possible for God and man to dwell in peace yet again, um, similar to in the Garden of Eden. Jesus comes with the power of the Garden of Eden. We've told about the Tree of Life. He brings healing to people, just like the Tree of Life. The leaves of the Tree of Life we read in Revelation are for the healing of the nations. Um, and when Jesus ascended to heaven, he then sent his Holy Spirit to be with his people. Uh, we, we hear about that happening in power at, at Pentecost. Um, this allows each, Jesus to live in each of us. So now this Garden of Eden, this, this inside place, can dwell in us because Jesus dwells in us. And so we can be at peace with God. We can be at peace with each other. But there is still a great outside, and there are many people caught in that outside that are not inside, that don't have that. So that, that's, that's the challenge, that's the mission, that's, that's the difficulty we're faced with. So the work of the church, as we think about this inside and outside, the work of the church is not to act as if there's, there's no difference between inside and outside, nor is it to abolish the inside so we can all be stuck outside. Um, rather, it is to love being inside. It is to cherish being inside, to hold that up as a good thing, as a joyous thing. When we celebrate communion, we are, we are having a, a taste of being inside in full communion with each other and with God. We are to hold that up and, and cherish it. But in addition to holding it up and cherishing it and loving being inside, we are to go outside. And to go to those, and actually because Jesus dwells in us, we're bringing the, the inside outside. But we, we are to go to those outside and make a way for them to come in. 
Um, so that is the work that we see the apostles doing during the, the, the disciples and the apostles doing during these passages in Acts is they're going outside and they are making a path for those who are outside to come in. So in today's reading, I just want to go through um, three different perspectives that we see demonstrated there. We have the perspective of Paul, or Saul, as he's called in this passage, and I'll kind of flip, I can't help myself from flipping back and forth using some of Paul, so just know that I mean the same person, um, the Apostle Paul. But there's, there's Paul, who immediately went out and proclaimed Jesus. So again, he's doing similar to the Apostles and early on Peter and John, He's going out immediately and proclaiming Jesus. And then there's Bar- Barnabas, um, who worked to, to, to take Paul, who was an outsider. He was an enemy of the church because of his own actions. And Barnabas is working to make a way for Paul to come in. Um, and then the apostles, also protectors of the church, shepherds of the church. It's their job to make sure a, somebody like a vicious murdering Paul doesn't have access to the sheep, but they make a choice in faith, and they, they choose to reconcile with Paul, to, be, to, be, to accept him, to allow him in their midst, and to, to forgive him. Um, and so really all three of these perspectives are, are exemplified in this, uh, this chapter 9 that we read today. So first, to, uh, to take a look in more detail at Paul. Uh, we read that, that um, we read in the past few weeks, just if you weren't here or aren't familiar with the passage, um, Saul, as he's called here, had been persecuting the church, but then had a miraculous encounter with the ascended Jesus and became a Christian. Then we heard in today's reading, for some days, he, that is Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. <coughs> hard to know exactly the number of days that passed between his baptism and going out and proclaiming Jesus, but it, it, it looks like it might be just a few, just a week, something like that. It's a very short period of time. Um, and, and so the use of the word immediately, it's actually kind of strange when you read it in the text. Um, for some days, he was with the disciples, and immediately, how, how do you have some days and then immediately? I think what, what Luke's doing there is he's putting emphasis on how amazing it is that this person who just the other day was attacking the church and just became a new believer. So this is a person who, what does he know of Jesus? I mean, he had, he had an experience with Jesus, but Jesus didn't say a lot to him. So what does Paul know? He's not well-informed about Christian theology at this point, um, other than having met Christ himself in a brief instance. Um, and that's all he knows. That's all he knows. So all he knows is that one little bit, that one little experience with Jesus. And so he takes that one little thing, and immediately he goes and shares it. Immediately he goes and proclaims it. And so as we, as we think as a church about you know, entering into evangelism more and more, entering into how do we share Jesus, um, we will have training on this and, and things like that. But we can go out today and proclaim Jesus. We can do that right now. Training's good, and we, we want training, but we don't need to wait until we are fully trained. We can go and do it right now. So I just encourage us to do that. Um, we also notice that, that Paul went to the synagogue specifically, and he does this twice, and actually does it more and more as we read about what Paul did. So what was the synagogue? 
The synagogue was a place uh, that Paul could go, and he knew that as he would speak about things of faith, um, he would be heard. Wouldn't be liked. In fact, here we read that people want to kill him, and that's often a reaction that happens happens to Saul or Paul later. Um, but he knew he would be listened to. He, he wasn't going to be ignored there. And so one of the responses we can take, Aaron encouraged us a, a week ago or a couple weeks ago to um, you know, pray about, pray specifically that a chair next to you or a chair would open up that you could go and sit next to someone who wants to talk about spiritual things. I think we can add to that prayer that you would find your synagogue, that you would find a place, find a forum where there's maybe more than one person even, where there's a broader discussion um, where talking about spiritual things is an acceptable thing and people generally listen to each other. Um, and so I just encourage you to do that. I encourage you to keep your eyes out, but also to pray specifically for that. So in addition to Paul's example, we also have Barnabas. Um, and Barnabas works to make a way for the outsider as well. Um, and in this case, it's Saul himself. I'll, I'll read this, this through here. And when he saw had come to when he saw had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. And this is a very normal response that any of us would have. So it goes by quick, but just, just savor that for a moment that, you know, this is even if the guy's claiming to be a Christian, I mean, this is the very guy that's trying to get into people's homes, drag them off to jail, so now he's changed his tactics a little bit, he's being sneaky, you know, but something is not right here, and that would be a, a very normal thing to do. But Barnabas took, took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Let's just press into Barnabas's experience here a little bit. As far as we know, Barnabas did not have God speak to him directly like the prophet Ananias had earlier in Acts. Barnabas might have talked to Ananias, might have heard from him that God had spoken to him, but if you've talked to people who God has spoken to, you're, you are taking their word for it. Um, God didn't speak directly to you in that case. He spoke to this other person. You trust the other person, but you're taking their word for it. And then Saul himself, okay, he's proclaimed Jesus maybe for a month now, a couple times. He's put his life at risk, but isn't this a normal tactic that someone would do if they're trying to make it seem like they're a part of something? So I just, I just say that not to, I don't know what Barnabas was really thinking in, these, in this case, but I think it's important for us to realize that as we read these texts and we read about, you know, things like um, that... Uh, a voice from heaven spoke to Saul. We know that. Saul knew it. It's canonical, so it's easy for us to be like, oh yeah, God spoke. That's clear. But was it that clear to Barnabas? He just heard it from this guy, Saul. So he didn't, Barnabas didn't have the kind of clarity that we have as we read the text. So for Barnabas, this was likely a somewhat anxious experience. He's putting his reputation at risk, maybe even his life at risk, or the risk of additional friends who could be killed by Saul. But he's willing to do that. He sees this as, as what God does um, and what, what he's seen Christ do. 
And so he makes a, he makes a way. He vouches for, for Saul and makes a way for him to come in. And we should be encouraged by Barnabas to continue to go out and find those all around us um, who might want to come into the church but might, for, for various reasons, not be acceptable to the church at first glance. Um, and so it's on us to go out and to, and to bring people in to make a way, make a path for them to come in, just like Barnabas did. The third perspective that we need to look at and, and understand and, and even respond to in our own lives is that of the apostles. So just a little background here. These were people who um, historically, uh, all of them were Jewish. Uh, they were devout Jews, similar to Saul. Saul was a Pharisaic Jew, but even someone like John, uh, the Apostle John, was somewhat high in the ranks of, of the Jewish leadership, or at least was familiar with, with the, the high priests and, and people like that. And so the, the apostles you know, had some connection to Saul historically, in the sense that they were of the same people. Um, Jesus comes, and he, his very presence and his, in what he does causes a great divide to this people. They're, they're separated into two. Um, and so the apostles are on the side that's being persecuted by Saul. Um, and Saul's on the side that's persecuting um, so, so there's, there's, a, there's a, a violent nature to this separation that occurred. And we actually, like if you've studied history, you know this is actually a normal thing. This happens regularly, even in our own, uh, our own uh, religion, in Christianity, this has happened again and again, and even up to recent times. Protestants killing Catholics, Catholics killing Protestants. Um, this is a, a somewhat normal thing if you take sort of a 500-year perspective, for sure. Um, our own denomination, Anglicanism, was formed in, in formed and shaped out of this, this kind of violence in the church. And then think about our, our, our parent church, too, and now we'll step away from the murderousness of it, but uh, Church of the Resurrection, if you're not familiar with, with our own history, our own parent church's history, um, there, too, is a great amount of conflict, both from the separation from the Episcopal Church in the early 90s, but all the way through to, um, you know, for, for at least 10 or 12 years after that, um, there was conflict. And I, I don't know all the details, but it was um, so severe that people whom, whose names you might know, certainly Bishop Stewart, then Father Stewart, Val McIntyre, um, Kevin and Karen Miller, and many others, were separated from each other. They were, they were on opposing sides um, throughout these conflicts. And they were severe enough that people, like those people I mentioned, left the church. Um, Stuart didn't leave the church, but, but others did. And not to say Stuart's on the right, they're in the wrong. It's just that they, they, they had to go separate ways. Um, and, and there was animosity and anger from all sides. Um, there was bitterness from all sides. I know this because it's been in you know, Stewart's sermons, he's confessed it again and again. Val has spoken on it. Uh, the Millers have as well. So it's something that they're, they're transparent about. What's amazing to me is that they have come back together. Um, it's just, it's an astounding thing. I mean, many of you have probably, either in your own families or in church experience or others, you, you've witnessed people that have become estranged from each other. 
But to hear about any one of them coming back together, um, that's unusual, let alone like a whole bunch of them coming back together um, and being friends again and ministering together again um, in, a, in a way that's, that's fully reconciled. That's an incredible thing. Um, I wanted to read for you, uh, just, just to give those of you that, that might not have heard this kind of thing, um, an excerpt uh, from Val McIntyre's uh, testimony on this. Um, on her experience in this. So this is, um, she, by the way, is currently serving as the community care pastor at, at Church of the Resurrection. Among our first friends at the church were Catherine Fawcett and Kevin and Karen Miller. One person we did not expect to meet there was Stuart Rock, whom I had known as a depressed and angsty theater student. However, something profound had happened to Stuart, and he was on fire for Jesus. In the coming years, we spent a good bit of time with the Rocks. As young couples, we had many passions in common, evangelism, missions, healing, and most importantly, we loved Church of the Resurrection. It was our home and our family. Kevin and Karen Miller were also an important part of our early years at Res. Around about 1992, Karen and I became prayer partners. Belle tells about her time on the vestry and that it, it, conflict started to emerge. She goes on to say, Karen Miller and I found ourselves on opposite sides of a devastating church conflict. Kevin and Karen left the church, but Karen wanted to preserve our prayer partnership. She was willing to agree to disagree. But I couldn't handle the tension. I ended our friendship by sending Karen a harsh and hurtful letter. Three years later, I found myself on opposite sides from Stuart, who was by this time the rector. It was an awful time of slander and accusation and strife. Once again, I couldn't handle the pressure. I resigned from the vestry and left the church. Little by little, I painstakingly, and by the way, I'm skipping some things here, so if it seems chunky, this, I apologize for that. Little by little, I painstakingly revisited my broken relationships, beginning with Karen Miller in 2002. After four years of silence, I called her and we met together. I asked forgiveness, I extended forgiveness, and we started rebuilding trust. She goes on to talk about her reconciliation with Stuart and others, ultimately coming back to the Church of the Resurrection and now coming into leadership there. So in our own church history, um, in our, our, our parent church history, um, there's, there are excellent examples of people within the church being uh, divided, but then choosing to take the course of reconciliation and love and, and the faith that comes from that. Um, and we can do the same as we think about our family relationships um, or even if there are uh, ministry partners that you've, you've maybe chosen to kind of move away from because things haven't worked out so well just consider the example that we have from our fathers and mothers at Church of the Resurrection um, who have, have worked to come, come together um, and live life together um, as Christians so as we think about these three examples and all the other examples in Acts, I think it's important to realize that as we, as we desire to participate in the multiplying, the growing, the, the call of, of God for his people to grow, as we want to participate in that, um, it's critical to realize a couple things. One is that God is the one who multiplies the church. We see that again and again in these Acts passages, that God is the one who added to their numbers. But we do have a part to play. 
um, we can go outside from the inside. We can go outside and and make a straight path. We can make a way for people to come in. Um, and so as we're entering into small group season, um, you know, think about that. Think about that with your small groups. You know, what are ways that you can make a straight path for others to come in um, and be on the inside from the outside? So you pray with me. Oh Lord God, we we ask that you would you would help us, you would lead us, you would give us boldness. Lord, lead us to the outside, knowing that you will be there. We pray that we would um, we would find you there, and we would follow you in what you call us to do. Glory be to your name. Amen.